Hey y'all, it's your girl Michelle and Nay, and you're tuned into Christ Over Culture, your destination for faith, news, and pop culture. I'm excited because this is a conversation I have been wanting to have for a while, and it's all about real estate. So if you have paid attention to social media, you may have seen friends, family members talk about the fact that they have been able to buy a house. And that's been one of the many blessings that has come out in, of 2020 for a lot of people. And so today I really wanted to bring a very special guest on to talk about real estate. And so I have a licensed realtor. We have Tina Wilcher. She is a realtor in Texas, but she can sell real estate all over the United States. And she is here to tell us some tips and some just important things to know if you are either looking to buy a home now or have an interest in buying a home. So listen up, take notes, because she has a lot of information to offer. So Tina, welcome to Christ Over Culture. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you very much. Of course. Now, we had an opportunity to talk in advance of this interview. And when I tell you, I learned so much just even in that conversation. Nice. Um, I mean, you just have a wealth of knowledge. So share with our listeners a little bit more about you, your background, and how you got interested in real estate. Sure, Michelle. Well, I have been in the real estate business for roughly about 20 years now, and I accidentally got in real estate because I had a full-time job working in radio advertising and marketing. And when I got into real estate, I was simply helping out my husband. And he was a realtor, you know, with some things going on with the market. So he was working on mortgages as well. And I kind of became his assistant. As his assistant, I said, well, I could get paid a little bit more for this, right, if I had a license. And so, you know, he encouraged me, helped me through it, and I was able to get a license. And so from that time, I continued to work on my job as a full-time radio uh, person, you know, and doing marketing there. But I still had a passion for real estate. So moving ahead, you know, years later, my kids were all grown up and just decided to really go for it. So at that time, I retired from radio. Once I retired from radio, I went head on in real estate and just tried to learn all I could learn and really just got in and discovered a lot of different avenues that there are to take in real estate. So I'm just totally engulfed in it in so many ways. As you mentioned, I'm a realtor. I sell in Texas. I offer referrals throughout the United States. I also have recently started a real estate team because it's a very difficult business to do by yourself. And in addition to that, I teach real estate classes for the Houston Association of Realtors, the Texas Association of Realtors, and the National Association of Realtors, and a number of different title companies and other brokerage offices. By the way, I am a realtor with Century 21 Exclusive, and it's an outstanding brokerage in Bel Air, Texas. And Indra and Thomas Mouton are my brokers, and they are outstanding people. So I can't even mention going on any further without mentioning, you know, their uh, um, just encouragement and the things that I do in real estate. Wow, that's fantastic. So that means we have a lot to cover in this yes. time that we have together. And I, I love the fact that you even teach real estate. I think that that is so unique and is something um, that I think is going to be really beneficial in what you have to offer today to us who are learning and interested. And even for those who might want to get into the industry, yeah. So, Tina, now is 
2020 or the market is right now, we're having this conversation in December of 2020. Is now a good time to buy a home and why? It is if you're prepared. Okay. So, and it is because interest rates, Michelle, are at an all time low, right? People are getting interest rates at 2.3, 2.75, where normally it would be 3.75, 4.25. So when I say that, that's the interest rate that you're going to pay in a lot of cases over the term of your loan. And the term of a loan could be 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. It just depends on what type of loan that is. And because the interest rates are at an all-time low, I mean, you're going to get more bang for your buck. Another reason why is because home uh, values are not going to go down. They are going to continue to rise. And that is because we have a shortage in this market and pretty much every market across the United States in inventory, right? And so let me just kind of educate everybody really quick on what's going on in our market, especially here in Houston. And this is really going to apply throughout the United States. We have an inventory shortage. What that means is it is a seller's market. A seller's market means that there's a lot of buyers, but very few sellers. Why don't sellers want to sell? They don't know what's going on with their employment. They don't know what's going on with COVID, right? They don't know um, where, if they sell, where they're going to move to. So they have some concerns. So they're kind of staying put and watching and seeing what's happening. But in the meantime, you have all these buyers who want to take advantage of these great rates. And these buyers who are saying, well, this house that I've been living in during COVID was cool, but I don't know if I can do another year with these people in this tiny space, right? Or I want to have a community where I can walk in, or maybe I want to be able to walk to Whole Foods instead of being, you know, hey, 20 minutes away, or even moving closer to my family, since those are the people I'll be spending more time with. So people are making some tough decisions about the residents and looking at also the cost. Builders, new construction, costs are just rising and increasing just rapidly. And that is because we have a shortage in building supplies. So there's so many different um, avenues that you have to look at. But those people who are prepared, it's a great time for them to buy a house. Awesome. And I'm glad that you said preparation is key. Mm -hmm. So that just yeah. is the perfect segue to my next question. How far in advance should you prepare? What does prepared mean and what does that look like? That's a great question as well. And being prepared means have you gotten yourself in order that you're taking all the necessary steps so that as you move through the process, you know where you are. And different people, Michelle, come into the process at different places. Some people come in fixing their credit. Some people come in with A1 credit. Some people come in as first-time buyers. Sometimes people come in as second-time buyers, second-home buyers. It just depends on where you are in the process. But wherever you are, especially as a buyer and a seller, you really need to have representation. And representation comes from having a skilled professional realtor who knows what they're doing to guide you through it because there's so many things that change and so many rules and laws that realtors have to know that the average person is not going to know. Right. Yeah. So just being prepared means when you know that you are wanting to buy a house, you should start preparing at that time. If it's five years down the road, two years, six months, whatever it is, you should start preparing at that time. And then follow, have someone that can guide you through it so that you're not just kind of blindly following along whatever you find on the internet. 
Yeah. Now, I know that a lot of young adults listen to my show, Millennials. Many may be first-time homebuyers. So what about a first-time homebuyer? What are some things that we should know if we are first-time homebuyers? What are some of those key things that we should know in order to get prepared? Very, very good question. A lot of times, Michelle, people start the home buying process at stage five, and there's about 10 steps, right? And people start at step five, and step five is where you start to look at properties, right? But there's four steps above that that you really have to take a look at and have in order so that you know when you do get ready to look, you're not um, blown away by some of the things you find and if you can or can't afford it or can you afford more, things like that. You know that in advance if you take the steps above that, okay? Mm -hmm. So really knowing the steps and following those and figuring out where you are in the process. Okay, so I think that this is a great time to talk a little bit about the 10 steps to and in home buying. So you mentioned some people come in at step five. Mm -hmm. So let's walk through the 10 steps. Okay, let's do that. The very first step is to get educated. Okay, and to get educated means to take a look at things and know where you are financially, know what type of home you want to really live in, what amenities you want in that community. How far do you want to drive from your employer? How close or near do you want to be to your friends and family members? That's your education. Right. Knowing what's 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 ahead. The next step in that process, Michelle, is following right along, how much can you afford? They always say in real estate, um, people have a champagne taste for beer budget, right? Mm -hmm. That means that you want all these amenities. You got to have all this stuff. And when you start looking at how much all that costs, can you really afford it? And in a lot of cases, people say, well, I can't afford a three or four or $500,000 home. And you can. But here's what I would recommend. Look at your monthly budget. How much do you want to spend on a monthly level? That way, when they tell you that you're approved for 200, 300, 400, that may be so, but you know what to accept based on what's a reasonable amount for your family per month to spend. And you have other factors that you have to include other than that house note, because now no longer are you going to have a landlord that can call and say, hey, somebody stuffed something down the pipes, come fix it, right? Or a tree just broke on the top of the chimney and it's some birds coming in, somebody need to get them out. All those are your responsibilities. Great. Okay. So now we're on to step three. Yes. And getting pre-approved. Don't just say, oh, I got good credit or, oh, I have money saved or, oh, I paid this off or I'm working on my credit. Speak with the lender because what a lender is going to do is to review your credit from a perspective of a mortgage um, loan. And that's very different from a car loan. That's very different from a credit card. They're going to take all three of your major scores. They're going to look at the middle score and use that as what they determine your loan terms, what the loan amount would be. Um, they're going to look at your debt to income ratios. How much do you bring in? How much are you saving? How much are you spending? They're going to really look at your full picture. Right. And then tell you what's reasonable for you to stick with that budget that you want to have every month. Great. Now, what about step four? 
All step four is where you start to get to the fun part. And this is what kind of home do you want to buy? So, and this is where you're going to say, okay, and I usually give my buyers and sellers a little questionnaire. What are some things that you would have in a home? What are some things that your family participates in? What kind of activities are you, do you guys participate in? Are you indoors or outdoors? Uh, would you like some acreage or would you not like to do lawn care? You know, think about things like that. In terms of the internal, don't just look at bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage. You want to look at, do I want showers and tubs? Do I want those to be separate? Um, do I want to have separate amenities on one side of the house versus the other side? Do I want a two-story? And now, how long am I going to live in this home? That's another big thing right now because we're finding that some of our baby boomers are wanting to downsize because they had two stories when they had children in the home and grandkids and things like that coming over. And now as we age, we find out we don't really want to walk up all those stairs anymore. So then we want maybe a one story. We're also finding that millennials surprisingly um, want one story homes too, maybe higher ceilings, um, maybe more outdoor space so they can invite friends over. They like the open concept. They're not, they like high end appliances, even though they're not big on like um, maybe cooking and things like that. So you have to really look at what do I want versus what can I afford? And once you know from the lender what you can afford based on what you want and you've looked at communities, done research, that's when you start shopping for a home. And that's where most people start, Michelle. And they start that 18 months before they even speak with a realtor. When we speak with a lot of buyers, they know neighborhoods. They're very familiar with what properties have come on the market, gone off the market, sometimes what the prices were, you know, things like that. But when it comes to knowing what the HOA amount is on an annual basis, they're not really familiar with that. When we start saying, well, what do you want to pay as a tax rate? They don't know what the average is in most cases. Um, um, when we tell them, well, you want to think about the schools because you have children or maybe you're going to have children or maybe your grandchildren are going to come to your school district, right? Then you have to start looking at those things and not just the home, but also look at that area and what it brings to, to your family's needs. Yeah, I'm really glad that you shared that because that's one of the things that I've thought about is that there are other kind of costs associated with going into home ownership and buying. It's not just, Lots. oh, you know, this home is X amount of dollars that I see online. That's it. There are other, you know, responsibilities and considerations when it comes to your finances and the financial commitments that yes. be made with that home. And then the return on value, of course. So yes. I like how we're going through these 10 steps. We talked about one, get educated educated two how much can you afford three getting pre-approved and then four where the fun part begins what home uh what kind of home can you buy and so five which is where a lot of people start as you mentioned step five what is that step five of ten so shopping for a home is this fun part where you go to start looking at homes. And if you have a good realtor that's on your side, that realtor is going to know which communities work for you, which don't because you've, you know, kind of driven the neighborhoods. Um, that realtor should be familiar with that area, number one, because we have a requirement that we have to know geographical competence as well as property type competence, which means that if we're going to sell either our licenses, we can sell all over Texas, we need to know where we're selling so that if that person has questions about HOA, they want to know about the municipal utility district. They want to know if it's um, in you know, a certain county or if it's what kind of taxes they're going to pay. 
we are supposed to know that so we can share that information. So when they start shopping for the home and they look at all these nice, beautiful things and the features of the home, we're looking at the neighborhood. We're looking at, you know, the features that they said that that they need, things like that. So your realtor really is going to show you how to shop for homes. Another mistake, Michelle, we talked about this briefly, people make is they go to Zillow. And Zillow's cool. You know, it's a fun place to be. They have all these homes on there. And then they also have what's called Zestimates, where they tell you the value of homes and things of that nature. Well, if you're in Houston, my recommendation, also maybe even in um, other cities and states, is look at your local association. Because the local association, realtors have a requirement to put in the correct and accurate information about a property versus on Zillow, that information is syndicated from other MLSs, from other websites and other places like that. So you'll find that the Houston Association of Realtors, which is HAR.com, has lots of properties on it, right? So many properties, all different property types. And when we as realtors put information in that, first off, we're members, we have a like nine, 10 page input document and that we have to have the sellers to sign off on, saying that that information is true, accurate, and correct. That way, the information is valuable information that the buyers and sellers and other realtors can use, as well as appraisers use the information, lenders use the information. It's used in a lot of different ways. So I want to recommend people not to just go to Zillow and think that that's totally accurate. It's not Zillow as a marketing company. They're not an MLS or a multiple listing service as we have with our local associations. Okay. And we're not just calling out Zillow, really. You have to do your homework and do your Mm -hmm. research. And it sounds like your local association, is it the owner association, is one of those places that you can go to and know that there is accurate information there inputted by uh, realtors. Yes, exactly. And no, we're not calling out Zillow. We're saying that wherever you get information from about properties, always make sure that you know where the information comes from. Because as realtors, and I just um, mentioned Zillow, because we get calls and that's one of the number one things that people say, well, I saw it on Zillow. And we'll say, well, the property has maybe been sold because any website that gets information syndicated and there are multiple ones that get information syndicated. They don't always get the updates as quickly as they go into the local association's website. So that's why you want to really be careful of where that home information comes from, because if you're only looking on some of the syndicated sites, if you don't know to check it on the site that it first appeared on with the way our market is moving, it'll be off the market in two or three days. And then you'll just now be seeing it and it'll show active when it's really not anymore. It'll have a contract on it. Mm, That's good information. Mm -hmm. How about step six? Oh, step six is making an offer. So this is where you're going to submit your signed proposal. And that is your offer documents, everything that you want to happen, you don't want to happen. It all has to be in written form. And that's where both parties, buyers and sellers, commit to what they're going to do to make this transaction happen. And everybody has a set of rules and responsibilities that they have to follow. And this is where your agent is really going to guide you through the process because 
we have to know the contracts. So we should be able to, as realtors, explain those so that you understand them. And we're not going to make decisions for you. We're going to explain things to you so that you can make a reasonable decision because we can't give legal advice as realtors. Our opinion means absolutely nothing. We have to interpret the contracts in a way that you understand what's going to work best for you. And then we do it from there. So making an offer, you mentioned all of your specifics. Um, if you have any extra addendums, they all go in there. And sometimes things change so you can make amendments to the contract, but everything has to be in writing. Even down to, you know, hey, if you see this nice washer and dryer there, it doesn't automatically mean it's going to stay, right? You have to have that in writing saying that this is going to stay. And everybody has to sign off on it because otherwise you'll go and do your final walkthrough when it's time to close and it's gone. And it's like, well, that's why I bought the house. I like the washer and the dryer because all that stuff matched and blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, here we are. We can't close because we have to figure out how are we going to get this washer and dryer back or a new one? because it was promised, but it has to all be in writing. So your offer is going to be like, you know, everything. Okay. So in your offer, if you want to keep the fridge and the appliances, you put it in there. Um, yes. And then you yes. talked about addendums. What, what type of addendums or things would go in an addendum in your offer letter? Very good question. So an addendum is an addition to the contract, right? An addendum further explains something in the contract. So for instance, a part of the contract is that you're going to be located, the property will be located in a property owners association. So then you're going to have an addendum that goes with that, that outlines who's going to pay for the transfer fee, who's going to um, order the HOA documents and be responsible for sharing with the other party. That addendum is going to lay out, okay, since there's a property owners association, here's what's going to happen as we execute documents with that. And you also have a very important addendum, which is called a third party finance addendum. So that way, if the person's going to get a loan, you have this addendum states what type of loan, what terms, how many years, what the interest rate cannot exceed, how much the loan amount is going to be. And if they're getting an FHA or a VA loan, there's also what's called the uh, provision. And the provision states that the property, if it doesn't appraise out to what they're offering, they're not obligated to make the purchase. So you're always going to make sure that if there's an addendum that it's completed accurately as well because that farther outlines the terms that you're saying with that third-party finance because here's what happens, Michelle. If for some reason interest rates start rising and people can't get that rate and within that amount of time that's included on the addendum, they let someone, they let the other party know, they get out of the contract and they get their earnest money back. And that makes a difference when people are putting down more earnest money so that their offers can be accepted. So you got to always be careful about that. And then also with the contracts, you got to be mindful of dates because there's a lot of dates in a contract. I've had contracts that were 50, 60 pages, 30 pages, 29 pages. So you got to make sure that with all the dates that you have, that you really keep up with those dates, because keeping up with the dates is going to make a difference. If, again, your client can get out of a contract or if they're stuck in it or who gets the earnest money, even sometimes who files a lawsuit or who doesn't. OK, great. I it sounds like having a good relationship with your realtor is really important. 
in order for all of these things to be talked about, discussed and explained um, because some of the terminology we just may not be familiar with. So it sounds like having a good relationship and being in constant communication is really important. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Well, we're going to take a break and then we're going to talk about steps seven through 10. So make sure you stay tuned. It's Christ over culture. All right, everybody. Welcome back. I am here with realtor Tina Wilshire, and we are talking about 10 steps to buying a home. So we stopped at step six, which is to make an offer. And Tina, you mentioned something, you mentioned FHA and VA. And can you just mention what those acronyms stand for before we get into our next step? Yes. So you have some uh, government lenders and some non-government lenders. And so when you have, I mean, some government loans and non-government loans and an FHA loan and a VA loan are government loans. And that's where they, the the government, the Federal Housing Association is going to set different standards, right? On what kind of homes can be purchased because they're loaning that money out and they're securing that loan. They're saying that we're going to back it if something goes wrong. So therefore, you'll find that um, it has different limits for different um, income levels. It all depends on how much you want to put down. There's a lot of different things that go along with it. So talking to a lender will really help. Also, you're going to have VA loans, and that's for our veterans. So veterans um, have a great loan product. Number one, there's no down payment. A veteran can buy a loan um, depending on their affordability level up to a million dollars and not pay a diamond down payment. That's outstanding, right? But what we find, Michelle, is that 23% of veterans are the only people who are using their VA loans. A lot of veterans don't even know that they qualify. So that's why you want to go back again to step three on that getting pre-approved. And now it's a new federal mandate that lenders have to ask are you a veteran? And if they do answer yes to that, they then can go on to tell them about the VA loan products that are available to them. Okay. And I just looked up the FHA loan is the Federal Housing Administration. That's what it stands for. And are there loans for first-time homebuyers? All of this is attached to this discussion we just had about making an offer because Mm -hmm. your loan is a part of an offer that you would make. So are there any um, loans for first-time home buyers? Oh, yes. There are so many. So here's a resource, and you'll see at the very bottom of this flyer that you're sharing, the Texas State Affordable Housing Corporation. We sometimes call it TSHAC in real estate terms, but the Texas State Affordable Housing Corporation. They have on their website tons of information for first-time buyers. They also have loan and grant programs. They have the um, MCI program, which is about your credits that you can receive, right, on not having to pay for different credits in terms of loan products and interest rates and all kinds of stuff if there are grants available. They also have information about the Texas Home for Heroes. So if you are a teacher, EMS worker, a police officer, any of those things or any of those professions, I should say, you're able to then go on and they have different grants that are available. They have different down payment programs that are available that you automatically qualify for just by being in those professions. Wow. So lots of good information out there. And again, um, depending on in your community, I would do some research on 
first-time home buyer grants and programs in whatever community you live on or that you live in or you desire to live in. I'm so glad you shared that because that also encompasses a lot of our first responders. And so yes, a lot of first responders. And they're on the T-Shack website. They also have what's called an eligibility quiz. And it has about four questions that they ask you. And it'll tell you if you automatically qualify for a grant or not. Okay, great, great. So now we've made our offer. We put that in. What's next with step seven? Oh, you're going to get a home inspection. And this is where you find out the ins and outs of the property. This is where you're going to hire someone who's going to be a professional. They're going to be licensed by the Texas Real Estate Commission to go in and inspect a property. And they kind of go in and out, you know, through all the cracks and crevices of the property. And they find out and they're going to give you a report that tells you what they discovered. Now, they're not in the business of diagnosing everything. So if they see a crack in the foundation they're not they're not going to say yeah this foundation damage or it's not they're going to say there's a crack in the foundation if they see you know some kind of black residue on the ceiling they're going to say that that's some kind of black residue and you should get you know a farther um, evaluation done by a licensed professional in that area so because of those things you always want to get an inspection one big mistake Uh, that people make, Michelle, is that they don't get home inspections on new construction properties. Worst thing that you could do. And I was doing a conference once with an inspector and someone asked the question, if you can get a home inspection only on a new construction or one that's already been lived in for a couple of years, which would you recommend over the other? He said, absolutely, a new construction. He said, because the systems haven't been tried and tested and it's so much that could have gone wrong. I've seen on new construction properties where, you know, the wiring wasn't correct or maybe the gas, there was a gas leak once that was really major. Um, I've seen where the windows weren't installed properly. It's a lot going on. And especially now in this environment where there's a shortage on supplies, there's also a shortage on labor. So because there's a shortage on labor, sometimes you don't always have consistent workers in the building process. So you want to definitely have an inspection. And when it comes to new construction, the sooner you decide that you're going to buy a new construction, that's when you bring the inspector in. So there's usually like a three-phase inspection that you can get done. And that's when they lay the foundation and the slab, when they put the plumbing up, and also when they start to put the walls and the roof on. So you want to, and then they'll come out and do a final inspection once everything's completed. So having that three-phase inspection gives you all the ins and outs of how that property is being built from the bottom up. Because sometimes if there's a crack in the middle, you know, know, in the kitchen of the foundation, you don't know that once the property's already built. It's not until probably there's a problem that you'll get to know about that. So definitely always get an inspection done. And and don't always go for the inspector who's the cheapest, because just because they're the cheapest, they may skip a few things versus paying a little bit more where that inspection company is going to have a guarantee. Like I know a few who say, hey, if we miss something, it causes you a major problem, we'll buy the house back. Right. That's a super guarantee. So definitely always get an inspection. And how would you go about finding a good inspector? 
Awesome. So a real good realtor is going to give you some referrals for that. And realtors, here's what we have as a requirement. We always have to give three or more referrals. We can't tell you just go to this person. We give three referrals in every category that we make a referral in. Okay. So we're going to give you three inspectors. In most cases, we know someone who's worked with those inspectors. We've personally used them on our own properties, or we know other realtors or other clients who have used them, or we've, you know, developed a relationship with them that we kind of know how they operate. And that's important because um, as realtors, we don't we don't advise on certain things. So because of that, you want to be able to talk to that inspector and say, hey, what's really important on this 40 page report that they need to ask for repairs from the seller on, right? Or that they need to say, hey, maybe I should walk away from this because this is a major concern. Having that relationship with your referral partners is one thing that the agent should bring to the table to make a referral on. And they could always ask for friends and family, but a lot of times that realtor can advise them on somebody. Glad you shared that. Now, I would think that you would get a home inspection before making an offer, but I'm noticing that make an offer is step six and then get a home inspection is step seven. Is -hmm. there a particular reason why the home inspection should come after the offer? Yeah, because before you make the offer, it's just kind of a visual, right, um, inspection. And you don't want to waste a lot of money getting all these inspections done when your offer may not even be accepted. So it's not until you're actually in contract that you're even allowed to go in and do inspections on a property. Thank you. I'm so glad that we're doing this. You know, it feels like just an education session and informational, you know, um, for the listeners here. So I'm glad that you shared that, especially you don't want to spend a whole bunch of money not even knowing that the offer goes in. Right. We talked about making offer, uh, step seven, get a home inspection. How about step eight? Step eight is to apply for the mortgage loan. And this goes again with step three. And you'll see they're kind of side by side on the chart because when you do step three, you're getting pre-approved, right? That means that the lender has looked at your credit. They've looked at your debt to income ratios. They've told you some things that you can do to improve and pull those numbers up. They've told you how much you'll have to bring to the table. After you get that offer in, it's gotten accepted. This is where things start moving with that loan. It's where they call processing it. It's where they actually say, okay, all those things that we ask you for to make sure you had an order, give them to us now because they want you to kind of present them with all the evidence on why they should loan you this amount of money to buy this property because it's a risk that the lender's taking. So getting that going through that loan approval process is where you're going to bring those documents. Your one important thing I want to say is when you're preparing to buy a home, stop or don't buy big ticket items. And a big ticket item would really be anything over $100, believe it or not, because they're going to want to follow a paper trail of where that money's going in and where it's going out. And if you go and say, well, I'm going to go ahead and buy the stove and refrigerator. I'm going to go ahead and buy the furniture I want now. And you got a five dollars $10,000 bill on your credit card now, that debt has to be added in. So wait until after you close on the home and then make those larger purchases cars, vehicles. Remember, the less debt you have, the more you qualify for. Okay, so what are some of the documents that they'll ask for? 
They're going to ask for taxes, at least for the last couple of years. They're going to ask for pay studs. They're going to ask for um, marriage certificates, death certificates, things like that. They're going to ask for um, any payoffs on loans. They're going to look at student loans. Any document that proves your credit worthiness, they're going to kind of ask you for it. Awesome. And what role does student loans play in this? Because I know that student loans is a big, um, you know, consideration for so many people. So how does that factor into kind of your eligibility for loans, if at all? I'm glad you asked about student loans because student loans play a big role in your debt to income ratios. And people are at different stages and paying off their student loans. So they count a portion of your student loans depending on how much you have. They also are looking at the repayment plan that you have because you have to remember, let's hypothetically say you have student loans and it's $1,000 a month. Well, they're looking at you got to pay that $1,000 a month for the next 20 years. And then you have a $2,000 house note and then you got taxes and insurance. And based on what you make, and some people say, well, I make enough money, but they don't want you to spend that much money on debt. So you have to be mindful of what that repayment plan is. Sometimes the lender may say, hey, can you reach out to the loan servicer and get a different repayment plan, even for the time of applying for and getting the loan approved? And then you might could change that later after it's already set in place. So student loans play a big role. And that's why it's important to talk to your lender or trusted lender, which again, uh, realtor can give you. And that is because that lender is going to take all of that into consideration, everything. And that's why that mortgage credit pool is different from a car or a credit card credit pool, because they're going to look at so much more information that's going to matter. Okay. So now this gets into home insurance, homeowners insurance, which you talked about. Yes. So after you apply for the mortgage loan, you've got your money, Let's talk a little bit about step nine, which is get homeowner's insurance. Okay, homeowner's insurance. And there's a lot of different kinds of insurance you're going to hear about. You'll hear about a home warranty, which basically just warrants different appliances and different things in the property. But homeowner's insurance is going to cover you for loss of the home. And that is if it's a casualty, you know, maybe like a fire or something. And it's also going to cover you um, if, you know, the wind blows the top off or something like that. Now, one thing... What about a flood? Because people... um, Yes, great question. So flooding is a little different because flood insurance is separate. And flood insurance comes from FEMA, okay? And FEMA has a national flood insurance program. And everybody can go to FEMA.gov and it has all this information there. And so flood insurance, you want to have that, Michelle, regardless if you are a homeowner or if you're a renter. Because when a flood comes and we've seen a lot of stuff like that happening across the Houston area, people don't have coverage because homeowners insurance does not cover flooding. And the difference between a flooding and a storm is if it comes underneath the door Any door, it could be the garage door, front door, back door, underneath it, it's considered flooded. If it comes through a roof, that's not flooding, right? And also your property has flooded if it extends over the sidewalk. 
And that might be, it didn't come into the house, but the property flooded. And the reason why that's important is because depending on where different flood zones are, your insurance coverage for flooding may be a little bit more expensive. So let's say if you're in a flood zone versus not in a flood zone, there could be a three or $4,000 difference in what you pay annually. Why does that make a difference? Because if you go back to step three and step eight, and you got to think about what do you want to pay on a monthly basis? Because if you're dividing a thousand by 12 versus 3000 by 12, that's going to make a big difference on that note. Great. All right. Well, we are, um, I, I cut you off a little bit about flood insurance. So I want to make sure you finish everything about homeowner insurance before we move to step 10. So anything else you want to add with homeowners insurance? Make sure you know what you're getting coverage for, right? And when it comes to homeowners insurance, it's not the agent's responsibility to call and get rates for you. You as a buyer should call a trusted insurance agent. Again, an agent can refer that person to you or we're going to send you three companies that you can reach out to and you can choose one. But the buyer needs to talk to them because they're going to give them some questions that only they can answer. And then they're also going to pull what's called a clue report. And that is that agent is going to look over any claims that have taken place on that property and and then based on that, they can also make a reasonable assessment of what those rates are. Awesome. All right. Well, we're at step 10. I hope you guys have been taking notes. Step 10, which is closed on your home. Yes, that's the fun part. That's where everybody gets their keys. That's where you get to move in. That's where all the excitement comes. You can start painting, changing things up. It's your home, right? That's where all your hard work pays off. You go to closing and what closing means is that the lender has approved all the documents. You've submitted everything. They've pulled a title report so the property can be sold. There's no problems with the transfer of ownership. You are the new, new deed owner. You become Become totally responsible for it's yours. So that's what happens at closing. You want to make sure that when you go to closing, that's again something that your agent's going to be there to hold your hand. It's like, you know, um, the birthday party at the end. That's where everybody goes and celebrates. You get all of that stuff done. It's going to be a lot of documents to sign. You want to make sure that in the time from getting approved to closing, again, you don't make any major purchases. You don't withdraw from any accounts. You don't open any accounts. You don't want to do anything because the day that you go to closing, they may call your employer and verify on the spot, hey, are you still employed? They may pull your credit report that day. You have to, if you're one or two point difference in what they approved the loan for, it can't happen. So you really got to be mindful of what you do from when you start preparing and really get in that process from step one through step 10. And, and step 10 is just the funnest part. I love sharing those memories. That's awesome. So you talked about, we've gone through all 10 steps and I want to make sure that I'm not missing some of my listeners out there, a group of folks who are freelancers or they're entrepreneurs. You talked about, you know, the fact that someone could call your employer on the spot to get information if you're still employed there. What about if you're self-employed or you're a freelancer and you work um, on different projects? 
How? Oh, that's pretty cool. You can, there are loans for people that have those kind of incomes and we're called independent contractors because that's kind of how realtors are as well. We work under a broker, but we're still independent contractors. So we do what they do, what's called stated income. So again, you'd have to prove like through the consistency of the deposits of your account, where the income came from. Um, if you do W, W9, I mean, W2s, if they'll give you any of them, I mean, what is it? W9s? W-2 you get from your employer. So a W-9. Yeah, I think it's a W-9. So they'll give you, like at the end of the year, the different independent contractors that you worked for, they'll give you like a statement. And so as long as you can prove your income, again, it's not a problem. You just have to go to a lender who's used to doing those loans. Great. Well, Tina, you shared so much. And just as a final question, why is home ownership so important? I know I've heard that it's really important for generational wealth and there's equity in the home. So if that's, you know, kind of your answer, please share that and any other reasons why home ownership is the way to go. It is absolutely the best way to create generational wealth. It is legacy living. I had an opportunity to uh, go to Mississippi where I'm raised at. And every time I go, I'm just simply amazed because I discovered something new about the land. And that is my great, great grandfather purchased 400 acres of of land years ago in Macomb, Mississippi. When he purchased this land, it was a cutoff of where the county and the state started taking care of it. So he created basically a municipal utility district because he paid out of his pocket to have running water to come through the neighborhood. And he just had like each person pay him a nickel to 25 cent, depending on how many people were in the household for them to get running water in their homes. And that same land, my father, here it is, is three generations later still lives on because his father took his share and broke it off with his children, right? So it creates generational wealth for many years to come. And I know friends whose family members many years ago bought property and now the states come in and want to put a highway on it and they have money forever that's going to come. Or maybe there were some minerals that, you know, really paid off because they had mineral rights for some property and nobody wanted out in the country. But now because it has these precious minerals on it, they're getting thousands and millions of dollars a year just because they have that. So it is the number one way to create wealth, especially at this time where people have an opportunity with low interest rates to purchase homes of the type of properties they want to find and really just get what they want and let it build equity so that they can have this for years to come in their families. Great. Well, thank you so much, Tina, um, for sharing that and just sharing, you know, just such a wealth of knowledge with us tonight. And I think that one of the biggest takeaways that I've gotten is to do your homework, do your research, find a great realtor, um, read, you know, the documents and making sure that you're understanding. Don't be afraid to ask questions, paying attention to the details. Like, you know, does the fridge and the stove and the washing machine come with this house? Making sure I'm not, you know, we're not making really humongous purchases, like as we're going through the process and under contract and things of that nature. So, Uh, There's tons. It seems like there's tons of information out there. Uh, We can do our research and, you know, 
pick what works best for you and do your mm-hmm. homework. Don't just take it from, um, you know, just, I would say, make sure that you're doing your homework and your yes. research so that you can get the information that works best from you for you because your situation is, you know, maybe unique to you. So yes. that's, um, those are some of my like kind of key takeaways. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of first time homeowners or second time or investment properties, things yes. of that nature. So uh, just, you know, thankful that you shared this information and it's at least a launch pad to get our wheels turning and spinning on, okay, these are at least, you know, 10 steps to be thinking about and considering. And thank you for sharing the infographic. You know, yeah. that's something I can share with the listeners. So it's something that they can even take as they're having conversations with potential realtors and asking them, you know, what their perspectives are on this and that. So, yes, yeah, those are just some nuggets that kind of stood out to me as you shared tonight. Yes. Well, I'm glad to have shared those things. And I, and I want to say that we talked a lot about home ownership, but some people may want to come in as investors. They may want to come in buying properties that can be used for Airbnbs and vacation rentals and things like that. But just I'm saying own a piece of the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if it's an investment is now good for investments. It really is. It's very competitive. So they got to, again, have to have everything in order, but it's a great time. And again, just a little bit more research has to be done. They go about it a few uh, different ways, but yes, of course it is. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insight. Where can people find you and learn more about your uh, work that you do and even reach out if they have any questions? Thank you. It has been my pleasure. I appreciate the invite again. They can find me on social media at Realtor Tina Wilcher. I have an Instagram page and I love social media. I love doing videos. I also have a real estate team. It's called the Educators Real Estate Team. Myself and Prentice Raglan, we want to educate people on the buying process, the selling process, working with investors, making commercial real estate purchases. Our team's all about educating people on how to do this the right way. Okay, so again, looking online, the Educators Real Estate Team, Tina Wilcher, W-I-L-C-H-E-R. I'm also on LinkedIn and one of my favorite places to be is on LinkedIn. So I hope to connect with some people there. Definitely reach out if you all have any questions. Awesome. Thanks again. Make sure you check out this podcast episode on ChristOverCulture.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify and on SoundCloud. Make sure you share this with a friend. Listen to this. Go back. Take notes. Things to consider if you're looking at buying a home either now, if you're considering it, if you know a friend who's thinking about it, make sure that you take the time, share this episode with them so that they can at least have some information to take and use as a launch pad in their research and in their home buying process. Thank you so much. Follow Christ Over Culture on Instagram at Christ Over Culture. And we'll see you next time in the next episode. Bye. Thank you.